You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and to get ready to study God's Word together. Amen. Wow. That's beautiful. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to those mothers who are with us and who are watching us online today. Happy Mother's Day. Our mothers are so special, right? They play an important role in each and every one of our lives. I could testify to that, that I had a praying mother who uh, was consistent in that and crying out to the Lord for the Lord to win my heart. And here we are today. But we also understand that on the flip side of that, there are those who may not have their mother with them or might want to be a mother and that just hasn't happened for them yet, just understand that we see you as well and uh, God sees you. God is working in each life in this room. And as we understand that he's doing that and he's doing that over all creation, it is easier for us to trust in his plan. The fact that God knows us so intimately well should be an encouragement to each person, no matter where they are in their life or whatever they think they should have, God is working and he sees you. Let's pray. God, we pray in gratitude for our mothers and for all of the women who have joined with you in the wonder of bringing forth new life. You who became human through a woman granted to all mothers the courage they need to face the uncertain future that a life with children always brings. Lord, will you comfort those who have lost their mothers? Let today be a time of reflection and remembrance of their mother and will comfort mothers who have lost a child or women who want to be mothers, and this hasn't happened for them yet. Lord, will you comfort their hearts? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. On January 15, 2019, U.S. Airways took off from LaGuardia Airport en route to North Carolina. And upon takeoff, it struck a flock of birds and lost all engine power. The pilot, Chelsea Sullenberger III, made several lightning fast decisions and performed dozens of complex maneuvers in a couple of minutes. And the plane landed safely on the Hudson River. Many people said that it was a miracle. And I wouldn't for a moment say that God was not involved in the whole thing. But the reason the plane landed safely was that Sullenberger had been flying planes and gliders for 30 years and teaching others to do the same. His character had been formed so that all of those complex thoughts and all of those complex maneuvers were second nature to him. His knowledge and understanding of how to glide a plane allowed him to effectively land the plane safely with no engine power whatsoever. Amid unforeseen circumstances, saving everyone on board. It was the crash landing that didn't crash land. It's known as the miracle on the Hudson. And the miracle is that the right pilot to handle all of these complex maneuvers happened to be in the cockpit that day. He happened to be in control that day. Sully didn't have to scramble and try to figure out what was happening, losing valuable time. No, he already knew what was happening and he already knew what to do. Today in the text, we will see a God who is not only the right pilot, but the perfect pilot in our lives. He knows and manages and handles the complexities and problems of each and every one of us. 
and has a solution even before they happen. Today, we're going to explore Psalms 139, so you guys can head on over there, and we'll see David acknowledging the attributes of God. And so the big picture of today's message is God knows everything about everything. And if you've been around the church long enough, you might live your life like you believe this. A statement like this will not surprise you. But if you are new to the church, a statement like this may sound cliche. So it's my hope this morning to show you from God's word why Christians can make a statement like this in good faith. It's my hope that our thoughts of God are increased this morning and that our understanding of what the scriptures have to say about God are expanded and that our response will be greater worship. Because how we view God impacts how we view everything. How we see others who don't look like us or how we act towards others who don't believe the same things that we believe, or how we look at the world and everything that's happening in it. A.W. Tozer says, what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. So let's jump into Psalms 136. And what we'll see in the text here is David acknowledging the attributes of God. Thus, the title to, today, to today's message is, God is. And it is my hope to fill in the blank there. But if I was to ask you today, like right now, before we get into this message, who is God to you? Or even, are you even searching to find out who God is? Many of you might respond, like, I know who God is. He is the Almighty he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Father. He is the righteous judge, the Almighty. Yeah, this is all true, but what do they mean for us? So here, let's get into it. I'm going to cover four points today. Three of these points are major attributes of God. And the first one we see in verses one through six. And the first point is God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. And we see that in verses one through six. This is David praising the Lord. It's beautiful the way that he does this. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern me, my thoughts from afar. You search me out, my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. That's so true. And that is the right posture. God's knowledge and God's thinking is so high that we cannot even attain it. Even some of the great theologians have tried to explain it. The first one here, um, Wayne Gruden, yes, Wayne Gruden says this, God full knows himself and all things actual, possible in one simple eternal act. Charles Ryrie puts it in these terms, God knows everything actual and possible effortlessly and equally well. Just grasp what they're saying here. God knows all things about himself, which we can't forget that he has no beginning and no ending. He is eternal, he, he is without end, 
He knows everything that is, that will be, and is to come. But I probably like A.W. Tozer's response to this text the best. He says, to say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. Could God at any time or at any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess or had not possessed from eternity? He would be imperfect. He would be less of himself. To think that God would have to sit at the feet of a teacher, let it be an archangel or someone on that level, is to think of someone other than the most high God, the maker of heaven and earth. That thought alone that God has never learned is like, what? He never learned, never can learn. But as we take a closer look at the text, we can see why Tozer can make a statement like this. As God helps us to conceive, as David helps us to conceive a God that is so much greater than we normally think, the words he he uses rids us of any small thoughts of God. But at the same time, David was not trying to make the point that this big God, this all-knowing God was not acquainted and connected with those that he knows all about. In fact, the point is just the opposite, that God who knows everything about everything is thoroughly involved in our lives. Look at what David says. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. David makes a statement and he personalizes it. He says, God, you have known me. This wonderful attribute of God that we've established in that he is all-knowing, that he can't learn, and that he knows all things. But David is saying, God, you know all things and you've searched me and you know me. Me. Little old me. And he has known us. Look at the tense. It's past tense. He's known us. And then in verse two, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. David acknowledges that God's thoughts are thorough and they're perfect. He says that you have known my thoughts from afar. And he's not talking about the proximity. Someone could read this and think, oh yeah, okay, God knows me from afar. I'm here on earth and he's in heaven. But that's, that's not true. We'll learn later that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So he's not talking about distance here. He's talking about he knows our thoughts before We think them. It speaks to the fact that God knows the intent behind our thoughts and the motives behind what we're thinking. Verse three, he says, you search me out, my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Path here is my going, coming in and going out. In other words, God knows our ways. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Verse four, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. In other words, David is saying, God, you know my heart. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, from out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. So when we say things that are hurtful to others, it's a heart issue. And it should convict us because it shows the condition of our hearts. You know, I find myself in front of couples, married couples, who are at odds with one another, and this is a a constant thing where their hearts 
are so far from one another that they cannot even speak to each other with love and kindness. But it speaks to the condition of the hearts. Sometimes you hear someone say, wow, what did I just say? Where did that come from? Well, yeah, we know where that came from. It came from our hearts. God expounds on this a little bit in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. He says, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, we know who can understand it. God understands it. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Of course, there he's talking about judgment day. When we get angry and start spewing out vile things out of our mouths, that's a heart that's far from Christ. The old nature is starting to rise up. The old nature will do that from time to time, right? Right? But thank God for the cross. Because when our old nature is rising up, we can overcome it by putting on the new nature of Jesus Christ that is living on the inside of each believer that has put their trust and hope in Jesus. Our old nature wants to rise up. But Harvest, we have to resist our old nature, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have victory over our old nature. God knows the motive motive behind every social media post. Are we modeling out Christ in what we post on social media? Are we trying to bring people together? Are we trying to bring glory to the Lord? Or are we tearing people down and bringing division in that? Verse five, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. David is relating his confidence in God, that God hems him in. This idea of hemming in comes from a Hebrew word, which means it's a military term which means that we, we have you surrounded, or it refers to fortification, or uh, you might've heard uh, the term, uh, we have them pinned down. It's like that. And so David is saying, God, you have me surrounded. You have me pinned down. And you're protecting me. You're guarding me. It says you lay your hand upon me. That's a picture of nurturing, like you're with your wife and you just lay your hand around her like, babe, I'm here with you, or your son or daughter, and you're just trying to comfort them. It's a picture of comfort, that God comforts us. You might have been at a a funeral or two where someone was up front giving a speech and they get emotional and they can't get the words out and someone just comes from behind and gently holds their shoulder and lets them know that they're there and immediately they're comforted. It's also a picture of I'm valuable to God. He comforts me. He protects me. I'm valuable to him. And then verse six, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The statement is a statement of humility. It's a statement of surrender. Things go on in our lives and it's it's hard for us sometimes to surrender because when we go through problems, we're like, God, I wanna know what's going on in my life. I wanna know and I wanna know now. We can go through a lifetime never knowing why we go through certain things. And God even gives us comfort in that. We see that in Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Declares there is God is announcing that to his people. 
He's like, hey, is this thing on? I got an announcement, okay? My ways are, are not, we are not the same. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I find myself quoting this verse at funerals where people have been taken way too soon or abruptly. And it's simply because I don't, I don't really have anything to say to that. Like, how can you explain a 17-year-old that is no longer or a nine-year-old who has gone to be with the Lord? How can you explain that? We can't. We don't know God's ways. And he encourages us in scripture. He says, you don't have to know my ways. Have comfort in that. Have comfort in the fact that I love you and I am working all things out for your good. We can't know God's plans because they are far above our ways. And that's so hard for us to accept sometimes, right? Even to fathom. But David is acknowledging that God's plans are high and lofty and we just can't understand. All right, point two. You guys trekking with me? You doing good? Okay, all right. Point two, God is everywhere. And the theological term for this is omnipresent. And we see that in verses seven through 12. But first I'm just gonna read seven through nine. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol is a reference to the grave or to, de- or to hell, to the grave or to hell. And then David says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and we'll see, he says, you are there. And You'll see in Jonah, similar terminology here. And this, so this is Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter two, verses one through three. And there's a lot of similarities with uh, David and what he's saying in Psalms 139. So let me just bring you up to speed on Jonah in case you don't know about the prophet who's kind of tough to wrangle in a bit. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah's like, you know what, I don't know if I wanna do that. Uh, I'm not down with that plan. Uh, I'm gonna go do something else. I don't wanna go there. And so he doesn't. So he flees from the Lord, and he jumps into a boat with a few guys, and this vicious storm is on the sea. And these guys are like, man, dude, whoever your God is, he is angry at you, so you need to get off the boat. You need, they were ready to, toss him into the sea. And so Jonah's like, you know what? You're not gonna toss me in. I'm gonna jump in myself. And so you'll see some parallels with this story of Jonah and Jesus Christ, because you'll know in John, Jesus Christ said, "Uh, no one takes my life, I give it. Jonah's kind of saying the same thing. He's like, you're not gonna toss me in. I'm tossing myself in. And so he tosses himself in, the storm calms down, and then a whale comes and gobbles him up. And so he's in the belly of the well for three days. And so while he's in the belly of the well, he prays to the Lord. And this is what he says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the grave or hell. I cried and you heard my voice. This is Jonah saying this to the Lord. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and all of your barrels, billows passed over me. In that, Jonah cries out to the Lord. And God heard him in that. Jonah is saying, where, it doesn't matter where I am. I could be in the grave or in hell. David is piggybacking on that same statement. He's saying, God, you are there with me. 
What a beautiful picture. So it doesn't matter where you go or what you are going through or what you have done. God is with you. And if you cry out to him wherever you are, no matter what sin you think you're in, God will hear you and he will deliver you out just like he did with Jonah. Jonah was very disobedient, but he knew enough to cry out to the Lord and God heard him. Psalms 139 verses 10 and 11, 10 through 12 now. So this is David continuing. He says, even there, your hand shall lead me in that dark spot, in that dark space where there's no hope. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark with you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. David is saying, darkness is not dark with you, O Lord. Like, it doesn't matter what I go through because I know that you are there with me. That's God's attribute of being everywhere, present at all times. But it doesn't negate the fact that you're gonna go through problems and trials and heartaches and difficulties and challenges and pain in the midst of his presence. There's no reason to think that if you're going through a hard time that God is not there. Sometimes when someone is going through a tragedy, the first thing that they'll say is, where was God? He was there. His word says that he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus had the same feeling on the cross. Remember, he said, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a normal feeling to feel that way. But I like the picture that David is painting here as being in the arms of God. It's just like a baby in the bosom of their mom, crying. That baby's not having a good day, right? He's crying. It might be, you know, a bad day in the mind of a baby, right? You know, he has something in his diaper or he's hungry and he can't go get it. And he starts crying. All the while, he's in the bosom of his mother. Sometimes we feel like God has left us or like God has forsaken us, but that's not true. He is with us at all times, holding us in his arms. David says, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me and darkness cannot shut you out. There are times when we go through dark moments, but David is saying the worst thing, the darkest thing that I can go through in my life, O Lord, is not dark with you. Even in darkness, God is present. David mentions this again earlier in Psalms. It's Psalms 18 verses, oh, verse 28, sorry. For it is you, O Lord, who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. We should remember that all the days of our life because God has never promised that every day was gonna be amazing. It's all about how we handle it. It is the perspective in which we are going through trials in our life. And David full knows well, because he's experienced this. He's felt darkness. Remember when Saul, Saul King Saul was chasing after him and David is sleeping in caves, he felt the darkness. And he felt the darkness of losing a child. He felt the darkness of sin. He felt the darkness of death. So he knows that God can lighten darkness because God has done it before. 
And it is of great use to us to know the certainty of the things that we have been instructed in God's word, that we may not only believe them, but that we are able to tell why we believe them and give a reason of the hope that we have in Jesus. David for sure knew that perfectly. And he knows that God knows him perfectly as well. Point three, God is all power. God is all power. This is his attribute of omnipotence, which means unlimited power, able to do all things. And we see that in verses 13 through 16. It says, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. How beautiful is that? I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Let's stop right there for a second. Knitted and wonderfully made. If you've witnessed your mom knitting or your grandmother knitting, you know that that's a process, right? And in the beginning, it doesn't look so great. Just like we didn't in the beginning, right? We just started out as two cells. And so then what happened? No, you guys, you learned that in health class, right? Okay, I'll fast forward. We started out as two cells in our mother's womb. And God began to put us together. And he began to make these arteries and blood vessels and veins and everything that makes us who we are today. He created healing systems within our body. There's no need for Band-Aids. God created Band-Aids. When you get a scar, blood platelets gather together and they seal the womb. And then it creates a scab. And then the scab falls off and it goes away. So Band-Aid and Neosporin needs to pay their tithes because God is doing it, not them. But isn't that a beautiful picture? And then we all have DNA and everyone's DNA is different. Every single person is different. What a beautiful picture, being knitted by the God of the universe. And then he gave us the blessing and trusted us to make people. We're people makers. I can vouch for it. Me and my wife made a person. And some of us, like Pastor Dave Lerner, he, he makes a lot of people. <laughs> but what a beautiful picture that is. David is also comforted by the fact that his days are numbered and that God's knowledge encompassed in his life to know him well enough to know his days. And let me just add one more. Every hair on your head, too. And every tear that you cry, God is saving that in a jar. What a picture of his love and kindness towards us. And it's an aspect of David's confidence in the Lord related to the knowledge that he is created by conception to birth. He says, in the depths of the earth, in verse 15, this is not a geographic reference, but he's talking about in the womb. He's being conceived and knitted. And in verse 16, he confirms that God has not only created us, but knows the precise number of days. Verses 17 through 18. There's two things that we see here. David says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. Well, I'm sorry, wrong verse. These are the two things that we see here in 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. 
If I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The two statements that he's making, precious and vastness. I wanna focus in on that for a second. How precious are your thoughts, O oh God? How vast is the sum of them? David is talking about the value of God's thoughts and the vastness of God's thoughts. David says, how precious are your thoughts? Precious in Greek is polytimos, which means valued. But in the Hebrew, it means weighty, rare, and costly. How valued are your thoughts, O God? David is saying that your knowledge is of great worth. Do you consider God's knowledge as great worth? Do you consider God's knowledge as great worth? This book, this gift that he gave us, full of examples of his character and his kindness towards us. Do we value it? Is it great worth to us? Do we see it as heavy and weighty? Heavy enough to anchor our soul in it? Do we cry out to the Lord saying, Lord, I need a word from you. I need to hear from you, Lord. I know as, as a pastor, that is a constant cry. And many of the pastors on our staff is constantly asking the Lord for wisdom, especially as we prepare to deliver a message. It consists of others, utter surrender and crying out to the Lord. Lord, I need a word from you. I equate God's word to life. His word gives life. We live in a world that's dark and decaying all around us, but it is God's word that gives life. It recharges us. It reinvigorates us. It gives us strength and the abilities to do the things that God has called us to do. I'm not qualified to be in front of you and deliver a message. I'm actually terrified right now. I had a fear of public speaking when God called me into ministry. I'm not worthy to be the associate campus pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel. But it is God who lives in me that gives me the power and the authority to firmly and aggressively preach his word to all of the nations baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that should be the posture of every follower of Christ. No matter what you think you can do, God knows your abilities. He knows you. And that is what God's word is to us. It's precious. It's the word of life because it allows us within these pages of scripture to clue in on the thoughts of God and his very heart. When we see him showing mercy to someone in his word, it helps us to say that our God is merciful. How precious are your thoughts towards me? Vast is the sum of them. If we can count them, they would be more than the sand. David goes on to share what, how God thinks about us. And have you ever thought about how God thinks about you? Have you ever thought about what you think about you? Yeah, we're really good at that, right? We think about us all the time. And we are really good at it. But the way that God thinks about us is different than the way that we think about us. He thinks about us because he loves us, because he thinks what's best for us. His thoughts towards us, he says, is more than the grains of sand in this world. I know a few of you have your calculators out. 
okay, why don't you take the continent of Africa, you take Asia, you take Lake Michigan. No, we'd never figure it out. David is saying it is far beyond our thinking, the way that God thinks towards us. And our last point, you guys are doing great, by the way. Everyone's still awake. My last point is God is worthy of praise. And we'll see that in David's response to everything that he has shared with us to this moment. But first, David has a moment, okay? It gets kind of shaky here, okay? Look at what he says. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, man of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. David is having a moment right here. (laughs) And I know for us New Testament Christians, it might be hard to take this in, right? I know you're like, hey, aren't we supposed to love our neighbors? But David is actually repenting here. Because you have to remember, David is a warrior, man. He was all about God's business. And he had a lot of blood on his hands, so much so that God did not allow him to build his temple. So David is going after, he's like, he has that attitude, Lord, I'm with you. I'm in allegiance with you. So whoever you hate, Lord, I hate, Lord. I'm in allegiance with you. Are we in allegiance with the Lord? Like when we go outside of the four walls of this church, not saying that you stand on the corner and tell everyone that you hate them, but this is a posture of David saying, God, I'm with you. But watch as his posture changes here. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous, grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Wow, that is a picture of a humble heart right there. That is a picture of a man who is a warrior And he's like, I'm warring for you, God, but I want to war for you with the proper heart. Search my heart. Search my thoughts. He's already established the fact that God knows the intention of our hearts, and he knows what we're thinking even before we think it. So David is saying, God, since you know all of those things, search me out, because I want to walk in your ways, and I want to be led in the way of everlasting, eternal life. That should be the goal for each and every follower of Christ in this room. David is basically saying, your knowledge is so high that I can't attain it, so I'll just yield to it. I'll surrender my life over to you. How's that going, Harvest, with you? the God who knows our hearts and the intent of them. Is there anything on our heart that we need to surrender to him today? Since God's ability transcends my reality, it's best to bow to his authority. Since God's ability transcends our reality, it's best to bow to his authority. David is saying, God, you are so high. Your thoughts are high and you know everything about me and what I will say before I will say it. So I'm going to yield my life to you. My trust and confidence is in you, O Lord. 
If God were big enough for our minds, he wouldn't be big enough for our problems. If God was big enough for our minds, he would not be big enough for our needs. If we had a God that we had all figured out, our minds would have nothing to trust in or appeal to. So I want to encourage us with this today. If you don't take anything else away, take these three things or remember these three things. The first one is, since God knows everything about everything, he knows the worst about us. And in our lives, in our culture, we sometimes guard ourselves and not really give ourselves to, like our true selves to others. In the fear that if we do that, then those people or that person won't love us anymore. God knows everything about us, but he still loves us. Number two, since God knows everything about us, everything about everything, <laughs> he knows the best about us as well. You know, sometimes we can try to give our best to others, to our spouse. Man, there was one time I thought I cleaned the house really good. And my wife was like, nah, that's a good try though. Sometimes we can give our best, but our best just isn't good enough. Look at the story of Peter, right? Jesus tells Peter, like, someone will betray me. And Peter's like, tell me who that person is and I'm gonna cut their throat out. And it turns out that Peter was that person, right? Peter denied Christ three times. So Christ was crucified, rose and appeared on the beach making breakfast for Peter. And Peter notices that it's Jesus and he swims over to him from the boat and Jesus begins to run him through these three questions. Now he's asking him these three questions knowing the answer, right? So he was not looking for the answer for him. He was actually trying to encourage Peter. He asked him, Peter, do you love me three times? You remember that, right? God knew the answer but it encouraged Peter and helped him to get back in the game. That's what God does to us. He knows the best about us and he pulls that out through encouragement. And the last one, since God knows everything, he knows the potential in us. God knows the finished product. God knows what you will become. If you think of an artist who has a reputation of making masterpieces and you just show up at a studio one day and he's like, yeah, Ramirez, you know what? I'm working on this amazing, this is gonna be the best exhibit, art piece, whatever, ever. Come back and, and check it out. I'll be done in five days. And so me being curious, you know, I go after two days and I get there and I'm like, dude, this doesn't look like a masterpiece. What are you talking about? It's missing an arm and a leg and where's his head? I'll just come back. So then I come back day five and it's like, wow, it is a masterpiece. Just as you said. God is the artist and you are the masterpiece. It may not look that way right now. You might be missing an arm or a leg, but God is making you out to be a masterpiece. He is working all things together for our good. Even when you can't see it, 
Even when you're in that valley and you cannot see over the top of that thing, God is there and he's using it for your good. Harvest, you have to be encouraged by that. That God, the God of the universe, who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, is working on you right now. Do you receive that? Do you love the Lord enough to live out the full potential that he has for you? You know, we just came out of a series that was amazing. And the reason why we chose that series is because we wanted the church to see who the church is and what God has called you to be. And many of you have taken the spiritual gifts test. And I really hope that you'll be challenged by that just as I was challenged to get up and get in front of people and preach God's word. Because the giftings that God has put on the inside of us are put there to bring him glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for the fact that you are all-knowing You are the author and finisher, the creator of all things. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are all of those. And yet, God, you still have chosen little old us to build up and encourage and to be with throughout the trials that we go through in this life. And so, God, I just pray that right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, that someone who is going through a trial or going through heartbreak, that they will feel your presence, that omnipresence, that wonderful attribute of who you are, and feel your comfort. God, we thank you for everything that you have done and everything that you are still yet to do in the lives of your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.